0: That being said, you guys have probably all seen the thing up over here and uh, our sermon title this morning. Um, I want to address something, first of all. There's a couple of warnings I want to, as I try to figure out how to work this stupid thing. Sorry, my iPad's acting weird. Um, I honestly, if you were to ask me, what are the most important doctrines of Christianity that everybody must be taught, that you got to nail those down, they're the closed-fisted, we can't change or buckle on these uh, ideas or these uh, ideologies. They are what the Lord has given us as a command so we aren't at liberty to change them. What are they? I would not come in, I would not start with sex. As we've already started, we, we did prayer, Jesus is God. We talked about money. We talked about church. Uh, Pastor Mike brought a message about the gospel. Last week we talked about the Bible. To me, these are the things that are the most important, foundational. They're not the only things we need to learn. But they are, if we're gonna get anything right, it's gotta start there. But two things have pressed me into dealing with this topic today. Number one is our culture. We live in a culture that is, is evolving or I should say devolving uh, away from the morals and standards set by God and changing, attempting to rather, change what God has said in regards to sex and sexuality. So I feel the need and I have felt the need for quite some time to address this issue, just waiting for that opportunity to not make it seem tacked on or, or, or make it seem like I'm attacking anybody, but just to address it in a biblical manner. Number two, I I don't wanna say constantly in the sense that I'm just uh, always inundated, but continuously I have couples who come to me and ask me about questions about sex. Like what, what does the Bible say? What can we do and not do? Like. Are we in sin doing this? They ask me these questions. And so there's a need within the church to have a right understanding about sex and the biblical perspective and what God created it for and what he expects of us through it. So none of this message is meant to be crass or crude. None of this message is meant to be sensationalistic or just try to get your attention. Uh, I purposefully did not advertise this title till last night about 8 p.m., because I didn't want to build it up all week and try to get people here just to be like, ooh, you know, what's Pastor Tony gonna talk? It's not about that. It's about what the word of God says about it so that we might glorify God even in it. So today, that's our first warning. Warning number two is we're gonna be talking about things like homosexuality and bisexuality. And and again, these are things that are pressed to the forefront by our culture. And we as the church have spent too much time kind of shying away or lashing out. When dealing with sex in the Bible, we tend to overreact to it or underreact to it. And both of those are error in just in different directions. And so I want you to understand that when we're dealing with these issues, human sexuality is a very sensitive topic. Men and women have lost their lives because of this topic. There are men and women today in places like Saudi Arabia who are losing their lives because they're homosexual. There are people in our own country who get beaten and abused and ostracized because of their sexual orientation. And so we as Christians, we have to make a commitment to the word of God, what it teaches to to reach out to the world in love but also reach out to them in truth. To do so in a way where we warn them about the error of their sin while at the same time keeping those hands outreached to welcome them in in love. It's a very fine line to walk. And that's why we look to Jesus because he's the only one who walks this fine line 100% of the time, all of the time. And we look to him to, to guide us and lead us. Now, truth be told, our culture has sensationalized this so much to make it seem like this is the most pressing issue around. And it has for at least a decade, probably longer, but that's how long I've been cognizant of it and overturning and redefining what marriage means and uh, what states and what uh, federal law says and approves of. And just what the general uh, consensus of the people seems to be, uh, they've done a good, good, good job at sensationalizing that. Here's the thing, it's actually not that big of a deal, meaning it's not as pressing or as prevalent. When we deal with the news and when we deal with media, we have to understand it's about... It's about selling papers and getting clicks on websites and getting viewers in front of a television. It's not about a relay of of information 100% of the time. Sometimes it's just about getting your attention away from another station or blog or website or newspaper. So whatever you do, whatever you read, no matter what side of the fence you find yourself on, uh, I would would just encourage you, don't pick a side of the fence, pick the Lord's side and let him be the one that gives you discernment in these things. Now, 2 Timothy 3 and 16 says, all scripture is breathed out uh, by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul, the mentor, to Timothy, the mentee, if that's even a word, uh, says, look, it's the scriptures of God that you will use to correct to rebuke, to reproof, to encourage, to love. It's your standard. Your standard is the word of God. Anybody here, bakers like to bake? I don't have any patience for baking. That's why I like cooking. Cooking you can kind of do on the fly, throw things together. There's not a lot of measuring that has to go on, but baking's like a science. And you have to, if it calls for a quarter cup, you put it in a quarter cup. If it calls for half a cup or three cups or whatever, that's what you do. Or you're, in, um, you're at risk of ruining that baked good and nobody likes that. So you have to have this standard of measurement, right? You can't have one cup that's actually one cup and then have another cup that's a cup and a half and expect to get the same recipe done with either one. The standard is different. So for the most part, when you go buy Uh, measuring cups or measuring spoons or, or, or tools, they're set to a standard. They have been measured by something else and that standard stays the same continuously. This is how, or I should say, it's one of the ways we approach the word of God. It is our standard. When we need to be corrected, we go back to the word of God. When we need to be encouraged, we go back to the word of God. It is the standard that God has set forth so that we might know and be the people of God equipped for good works Paul says to Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, young meaning about 40 or 45 years old. Paul was uh, imprisoned and he wasn't always going where he wanted to be and he wanted his apprentice or his mentee to, to succeed as a pastor in the preaching of the gospel and the, and the nurturing of his people, shepherding them into the green grass and the cool waters that is Jesus Christ. He says, look, I want you to be equipped for those good works it's the scriptures that have been breathed out by God. They're not, they're not the invention of men. They are breathed out by God so that we might be able to know about him and live for him. So it's that approach or that beginning that underlies what we're about to talk about today. The first thing I wanna talk about is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A very condensed version is God creates man and man should not be alone, God says, It's not good for him to be alone. Brings to him every animal that he's created to find some type of a mate or a partner or something. Nothing sufficient. So God puts Adam to sleep, the first man, takes a rib from his body and creates from that rib Eve. Although initially she's not named Eve. She's not named at all. And her and Adam are united in the Garden of Eden. It's the first marriage. It's the first union. Jesus will refer back to this being man and woman becoming one. And, and affirming uh, creation, which we'll talk about next week, affirming creation and affirming the marriage covenant. But shortly thereafter, Adam and Eve sin. It's a classic story. I know we all know it. and I don't want to uh, be redundant, but I, I feel the need to share this with you. So they eat of the tree. They sin. God finds them. They accuse each other. Satan's involved, disguised as a serpent to, to tempt them, to, to cheat, if you will, on God, by becoming their own God. They get cast from the Garden of Eden, but in that, God gives a promise that one day from the seed of the woman will come a savior who will crush the head of sin, Satan, and death. It'll bruise his heel. He'll 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 be bruised in the process, but he will conquer sin, Satan, and death by crushing its head. Not by maiming it, not by cutting off its tail, but cutting off the very source of its life. And then from there on out, God moves through men and women and families. Sin enters into the world. All are born into sin. You have the, the fall of man with, with Noah and the, and the flood. Then he raises up men like uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He raises up uh, Joseph and Moses and Joshua and, and then King David and, and on and on and on. And then one day, all of these men, uh, good at some times, bad at other times, They aren't the deliverer. They're not the savior. They're not the one coming with the foot crush. Until one day, God becomes man by being born as a man to a young girl named Mary. It's what we celebrate at Christmas time. He grows up sinless. He grows up in the wisdom of men. He starts at about 30 years old, a public ministry which culminates about three and a half years later with his death upon a cross for the sins of humanity. For every sin that has been committed or will be committed, Jesus took that on the cross. The son of God come to this earth on a mission to save people who were dead in their sins. Three days later, he's no longer dead. He raises himself up from the dead. The Bible says, shows himself to hundreds of people, teaches uh, Bible studies about how the word of God was about him, That eternal life is found in him alone, ascends to the Father after about 50 days or so, goes to sit at his right hand, sends to us the Holy Spirit. So that we may not just uh, have a list of rules to follow, but that we might live and love and follow the Lord through his own power. And the continuation of that gospel is that Jesus Christ will one day return, save his church, Gather us to him, we will be his people, he will be our God. We will celebrate him for eternity. You will celebrate God then, you will celebrate him now. If you don't like it so much now, I don't know why you're so eager to get to heaven because it's gonna be all about Jesus all of the time. And yes, every tear will be wiped away and everything will be healed, but the purpose of that will be to exalt the risen son of Christ. And it'll be a good time and you will love it but that's why we love worship so much right now. It's a foretaste, it's, a, it's an amuse-bouche, if you will. It's a cooking term, I'm not even sure really what it means, but it's like an appetizer of what's to come. That being said, that's the, that's the gospel message that we are called to carry out into the world. Now for us personally and individually, that's the same story we're all going to share, but we're gonna share it in, in, in the, through the lens of our life. So for some of you, you are alcoholics, and then you gave your life to the Lord and you were able to kick that addiction. Some of you were just ornery and mean and hated life and hated the world and you met Jesus and it changed everything. Some of you were broken and hurt and had been abused and had been taken advantage of and you met Jesus and you've seen him take those bad things and turn them into good. And we share that testimony with others, especially when we don't know what else to say. So many folks are worried, well, I don't know Bible verses, but you know, you know your story. You know what God has done in you. Just share that. You know, when people are in need of finances, you don't share with them math, right? You share with them yourself. <laughs> now mathematically, that, that's involved. Math is involved. I gotta deduct this much from that and make sure that's covered. <laughs> they need this and it's gonna take that much to cover. I get that. But if you just share with them a math equation, they're not, that's not, that's not inspiring them. That's not encouraging them or loving, loving on them. So you share with them your heart and your story. And then you let the Lord, you know, for me, I'm a, I'm a big Bible nerd. I love the Bible. I love the word. I love studying the word. But I find that not a lot of people get saved through that. People who get saved develop that, but coming at them with a bunch of intellectual uh, insight isn't always, I'm not saying exclusively no, but it's not always the thing that motivates people. Sometimes it's an experience and an emotional response to what God has done in your life. So don't be ashamed of your testimony. Don't be ashamed of what God has done for you. Do not be ashamed of the gospel and how it has played out in your life. So that being said, you've got you to understand that we see sex and sexuality through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone comes to us in sexual sin and, and talks to people like me or Pastor Ben or Pastor Mike or anybody in the church, really, we start from that position of love. We're going to, at some point, Tell them what they're doing is wrong, detrimental. We're gonna tell them that it's against God's commands. We're gonna hopefully give them references and Bible verses and that sort of thing. But I once heard it said by, by another pastor that, you know, it's one thing to tell somebody they're going to hell, it's another thing to say it with a smile on your face. There are times where we have to be very blunt, but we have to understand that in those times of bluntness, we can offer it in such a way that it's jarring but out of love. Being told that you are in sin is never a, a fun day. And so coming to somebody in love, acknowledging your own hypocrisy. I try to, I've had to talk to people about uh, sexual sin and I'll have to say, you know what? I'm just gonna say right off the bat, I am a hypocrite. I'm not coming to you as somebody who has accomplished this. I'm coming to you as somebody who's been convicted of this and had to repent of this. I'm coming to you as somebody who is not perfect, only knowing one that is and what he requires of us. And ultimately, you're a human being with your own freedoms and rights, and you're going to choose what you want to do. But I want you to know the truth of God's word. I do not want to water it down for you, make it more palatable. I will let the Lord be as blunt as he needs to be with you right now so that you might be saved. We sang this morning uh, the Come As You Are song, a great song by David Crowder, and the one line, Oh wanderer, come home. Like as, you, as I sing that, I just think of the relief of folks who come to know Jesus that they either at an altar or in their pew or in their homes just finally give up everything to the Lord, even their sexuality, and say, Lord, whatever you want, I am here. I am giving you my all in all, and I am, I am done wandering. I am ready to commit to you. The relief and the joy and the, 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 the just the the burden that's lifted from that is, is amazing and it's what keeps us as ministers going and should keep you as ministers going as well. So through that or through that gospel message, I want us to see what the word says about sex. Um, if you were to look up the word sex in the Bible, you wouldn't find it. You would find words like uh, relations or intercourse or you would find uh, uh, he knew her, that sort of thing. Like if you try to look it up in a, th- if you try to be nerdy about it, it's a really hard subject to study biblically. Fornication is another one, and we're going to deal with that one in just a moment. Uh, Like I said before, we either talk about sex too much in the church, or in the wrong way, or we talk about it too little. I want you to understand that this is not a subject that God runs away from. For me, I'm not somebody who's ever been uh, really comfortable talking about sex. Like I've met my quota here at the pulpit for how many times I'm going to say that word for the rest of the year. That being said, when it comes to ministering to people and getting them to the place where God wants them to be, I do my best to put myself aside and address the issue the best we can. I'm not somebody who is really comfortable talking about it all of the time. I've never been comfortable with, with you know being in locker rooms and jokes and things like that. I've always stayed away from that out of personal preference of it being icky and I should didn't like it. Um, and so there's very few people that I will talk to candidly about this and it's generally in private and it's mostly my wife. Um, That being said, today we're going to talk about it and and we don't have to be afraid of it. You're going to find, and we're going to talk about this in a moment, most sexual sin, if not all sexual sin, thrives in secrecy. It thrives and flourishes. It's like mushrooms. You put it in the dark, it grows better. It gets stronger. It grows deeper roots into your heart until one day you're broken by by your sin or you begin to celebrate it and just accept it, and then even try to f- normalize it. Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen. I reference this already, but the Lord God said, "It is not good for man should, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him." Now, out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to man, or to the man rather to see what he, could, he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed, it up, uh, closed up its place with flesh. And, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from man, uh, he made into a woman and brought her to the man Then the man said this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the marriage covenant, if you will. Jesus in in Mark chapter 10, I believe, will reaffirm this. He says, But if from the beginning of creation God made them male and female, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two flesh, or excuse me, not no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Every teaching about sex in the word of God involves the marriage covenant. We as Christians are often called hypocrites because we're perceived to approve one sexual sin while, while uh, uh, denouncing another. Truthfully, according to the word, traditionally as well within the church, we look at all sexual sin the same. All sex outside of the marriage bed between a man and a wife is sin. This would include adultery, of course. That's an easy one. Sex before marriage, this would involve uh, pornography, homosexuality, bisexuality. This would include uh, uh, things like bestiality, it's a thing. It would include polyamory and polygamy. Poly- polygamy is more than one husband or more than one wife. A polyamory is uh, a couple who invites somebody else into their life to be a third or fourth or fifth member of uh, their little family. Uh, sexually speaking, without any type of uh, marriage per se. There could be, there may not be, um, but it's kind of like a more the merrier type of a scenario. Um, And most of the kickback we get from that when we say that is, well, you know, the Bible speaks of uh, men like Abraham having a wife named Sarah, but then taking another woman to impregnate to carry on his bloodline. And, and, and David had multiple wives and Solomon, he had a whole herd of wives. And, that was a bad joke. He had a lot of wives and a lot of, a lot of whatevers. I forget the name of them, but he just had women upon women upon women. And, and this man had multiple wives and this man had multiple wives. And I want you to understand that when the Bible reports to us what man has done, it is not approving it or affirming it. No more than when you watch the news at night and News Channel 9 says there was a murder over here, blah, blah, blah. They're not condoning murder by reporting it. They are not approving of it or justifying it for simply relaying what has happened. When the Bible speaks to us about the sexual sin of man, it is not approving of it. It's not okay to commit adultery because there are people in the Bible who committed adultery. The Bible's just very blunt and and doesn't save anybody's reputation. And when David sins with Bathsheba, he calls it adultery. And there's real consequences for that. Have you ever studied the life of Jacob? It's like a reality television show. He's got two wives who are sisters that he was tricked into marrying. Uh, He wanted one, got the other, somehow in the dark, couldn't tell it was another woman. And then they each give their handmaidens to him. And he's got like 4,000 children by four different women. And it's just, it's like all you're missing is a trailer. And it's basically a reality show. It is crazy. And the Bible doesn't say, and Jacob did this and that was a good thing. The Bible just exposes to us the sin of man and the depravity and how bad it gets when man takes matters into their own hands. God made some astounding, amazing promises to the people of Israel, to us, the church, to men like Abraham. And for for people like Abraham, all all his job to do was really to wait and have faith. To just have faith that the Lord would do what he was gonna say, but instead they concocted ideas on how to make this plan work. They were getting older. We better do something and God can only use us for so long. I'm encouraged that Abraham was 100 years old when he had his son Isaac. Impressed, number one. Number two, you're never too late to be used by God. You're never, it's ne- you're never too old. You're never too this. You're never too that. Whatever capacity you find yourself in, the church needs you and the Lord can use you. You need only be willing. You may not do what people younger than you do. You may not do what you used to do, but there are things that you can do. There are things that, that God is calling you to do and you are expected to do them. So everything outside of that, now you can throw, every, now this includes uh, pornography and pornography is a weird one because for the last 50 and 60 years, it's been normalized. You know, it's, it's, it's been I don't mean that you can buy it behind the counter at a liquor store or, you know, there's special shops where you can go and buy stuff. What I mean is, even what we watch on television now is basically soft pornography. Um, watching a show the other night, oh, that's a really good storyline. It was on Netflix. And five minutes in, oh, this is a, really, a good show, Sarah. We hadn't had a show to watch in a while. Next thing you know, it wasn't just, it wasn't just soft porn. It was, real, it was actual pornography. And I was like, turn it off real quick, like, that really stinks because I need to know what happens to that person, but I'm not gonna watch the rest of this show. The things that we can watch nowadays 50 years ago would be considered extreme, but now it's just been normalized over time. We've been, as Christians, we've been called prudish and old fashioned and honestly, all we're trying to do is hold on to the morals that God has given us without becoming the morality police, without becoming those people who shun anything that happens sexually, make people feel ashamed for enjoying sex within a marriage covenant. We can't go, we can't be both of those. We have to line up with what the word of God says. And so we've got to talk about the difference between sex and fornication because fornication is the word that God uses in the Bible. Um, As I said before, fornication is just everything outside of the marriage bed. In every instance of the Bible, when there's a marriage and these folks know each other. That's the Old Testament verbiage for that. It's a good thing. It's a celebrated thing. It was an intended thing. It was a design thing. It was allowed. But when things go awry, when other people are introduced, when lust just gets crazy, when people make choices, when people give up on their marriage or, or start looking for something else in somebody else, um, man, things just go bad. Now, we preach here that all sin is the same. But I'm afraid that as we preach that, we're getting the wrong idea. I wanna clarify some of that. What I, what I mean by that when I say all sin is the same. Here's what I don't mean. Um, here's lying and cheating and here's stealing and then here's homosexuality and then here's adultery and then here's some other sexual sin and then here's, you know, here's murder and rape and, and then here's dishonoring parents and, and the other things. What I don't mean is, see these ones up here? We brought them down. Sin is sin. That is not what we mean. What we mean is, these sins up here, these ones go up there too. Lying, cheating, stealing, dishonoring your parents, the, 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 the commands of the Old and New Testament, forsaking your God as God. These sins are just as detrimental as homosexuality. They are all an abomination before God. Sin is sin is like a live grenade in your hand that is going to blow up until you repent. If you do not repent, you will bear the consequences of that sin. You will not continue to sow, sow, sow sin and then reap blessing, blessing, blessing. At some point, it's all going to blow up and you're going to lose a finger or you're going to do something, Something's bad's gonna happen and you're gonna regret every step you ever took. Don't trust me. Go to every theologian, every pastor, every person who's probably written a book, read about their lives, giving their life to Jesus, what they did, what they thought they could get away with, and how it eventually caught up with them. How eventually it took something from them that they did not want to have taken. It took their marriage. It took their children. It took their uh, livelihood. It took their health. It took their finance, It took something. It took, it took something they'll never get back unless the Lord restores it. I started this a second ago, and I got sidetracked. With pornography, this is not just, you know, those things that are taboo or those things that are behind the counter. We're talking about stuff you see on TV. We're talking about things that are written in books. I see Christians, and they're like, oh, I'm reading Fifty Shades of Grey. It's such a blah, blah, blah. It's basically pornography written down. There may not be pictures, but that's a, there's a reason for that. Because women don't necessarily need pictures like guys do. They're not as visual as men, so they need a story concocted, and it's the same thing. It's just as detrimental to your family, it's just as destructive, and it's just as sinful. And so we would include in pornography things like romance novels, and things that would cause you to lust after someone else or some other experience than your own spouse. Some would argue, well, it's just fantasy. No, it's it's real. Get, get online, look up things like Love 146. They deal with human trafficking uh, of, of small children. Children, five, six, seven, year eight boys and girls who are being sold into sex trades, in, into sex slavery. And these groups are going and they're rescuing these girls from there. Last year, where's Pete? He's not here. A baseball player last year. He retired from baseball because he went on a missions trip and saw the, 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 the devastation caused by this sex trafficking. He went his multi million dollar uh, contract in baseball so that he could fight the sex trade. Because there are real babies, children, there are, are women. 15, 16, 17, they are being exploited. They are being addicted to drugs. They're being sold as if they were a piece of meat or a piece of clothing so that you might gratify your sexual needs. This is not fantasy. This is destruction. This is vile. And so do not ever approach pornography with a soft hand. Do not try to coddle it. It will not enhance your sex life. Couples, it will not make things better. It will make your wife uh, very supremely insecure, it will make you lust after things that you were not designed to have or to go after. You will destroy your life with pornography. The average age of a child exposed to pornography is like nine. And sometimes kids stumble into it. Why? Because dad has a stack of magazines or a bunch of videos. They don't go get it from their friends. And if they do, they get it from the friends who what? Have, dad has a stack of magazines or a bunch of videos or whatever, or stuff on their computer. I have, we bought our son a, a laptop this year for Christmas. He's not allowed to use it outside of our vision. Because the temptation of pornography and the access to it is so simple and easy, eight, nine, 10-year-old kids are finding it and becoming addicted to it and it's destroying their minds. It's, and I don't mean like, it's just—it's literally rewiring the pleasure centers of their minds and how they receive, uh, how endorphins work. It's a very scientific thing I cannot get into because I'm not a man of science in that way. But just do some research. Look up a couple of blogs. It's not hard to find the science behind this, how it reprograms such young minds to now seek uh, not just pleasure, but comfort. The, the ability to get through life and all of its demands by, by, by going after these things so that there might be a moment of relief. In the same way a drug addict might use drugs, they will use pornography. And so if you believe that our children should be shepherded and loved and protected, you will do yourself a favor if you have any of this in your life and we will remove it immediately. When they speak to you about these things, you will be candid, but you will use, uh, you will be, use loving voices and loving tones and you will encourage them and show them what God requires of you. How you have been a hypocrite, but that God is redeeming you from that hypocrisy, that he's making you a new man or a new woman. And you will not allow that any longer to dictate your life. All sin is sin. If you were to come to me and say, Pastor Tony, My sin is overeating. Pastor Tony, I think I might be a homosexual. Pastor Tony, I think that I, I, you know, I've been stealing from my company. Pastor Tony, uh, I lie every day and I don't even know why. I would look at you all in the same way and tell you the same thing. This needs to be repented of. When we say all sin is sin, we mean it's all bad. It's all detrimental. It's all war between us and God. Enmity is the word that God uses. Now, for those of you, if you're caught in some type of sexual sin, anything I've described, or maybe there's things the Lord's convicting you of, do not hide it. I'm not asking you to come and publicly declare before the church unless that's a thing you want to do. But do not hide it. It will thrive there. I have read countless, and you've probably seen these blogs as well because they go fast and furious across the internet when they happen, Christians who, who come out as homosexual. Every story I've read for the most part in general says the same thing. I started feeling these things at a young age. I felt the same sex attraction, but I pushed it down. I hid it because there were people who I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell my parents, they were Christians. I couldn't tell my pastor or my youth pastor. So I hid it and then I tried to, to get married and I tried to have kids and just force my way through it. And then eventually I just couldn't hide it anymore. So the error was found way back at the beginning when it became a hidden thing. Satan loves hidden things. Satan loves when you hide your sin because it just grows and it grows and it grows and it grows deeper claws and roots into your heart. So if you're caught in sexual sin and you have a husband or wife, tell them. Share that with them. It's gonna destroy them, but God will, God will pick up those ashes. He will pick up the wreckage and he'll make it better. Do not allow it to just sit there and fester and, and ignore it because it will come and it will come for you again and you'll eventually be caught. If you are single and these things are an addiction to you, don't, don't try to pretend like, oh, it's a thing and then I can stop when I want. No, you can't. Confess it to a brother or sister in Christ that you believe in, that you, that you can confide in. Talk to them, say, you know what, I, I have this struggle. And, and I don't know how to overcome it. I don't know how to kick it. I've done it for as long as I can remember. And I just need some help. Can you help me? Chances are they're gonna say, I don't know how to other than pray, but I will pray with you. And, I will, and we will find ways to help you. And I will help keep you accountable. And you can text me or call me when, when those temptations arise and, and tell me that, man, I don't know what I'm gonna do. And, 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 and we can help talk you down from that. None of us here are professional therapists who have licenses and degrees on how to help people. We're just loving people who have an open ear and an open shoulder who just want to help. If that's you today, reach out to somebody that you can trust. Don't put it on Facebook as some big cathartic thing. You could, you're going to run into more negative than you are positive. You'll have people who be like, yeah, me too, blah, blah, blah. There'll be others who will judge you and that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for folks who are going to love you and see you through this trying time of your life. Now today's dilemma, as I said before, and the reason why we have to talk about this is because it's been pushed to our headlines. Everything, whether it's transgenderism or homosexuality, which now is like on the back burner. It's not even about that anymore. It's about all these other isms that have kind of arisen from that. What our culture is demanding is that we assimilate. That we begin to encourage and acknowledge the validity of a sinful lifestyle. We would no more do that for somebody in an adulterous relationship than we would for somebody who is engaged in homosexual acts. I believe that folks, and this is my own opinion, and you can uh, disagree with me on this if you'd like, and I'm okay with that. I believe that folks that uh, have same-sex attraction genuinely do feel that. Some Christians try to tell them, no, it's not real, blah, blah, blah. No, I think they genuinely feel that. In the same way a drug addict genuinely feels the desire to do more drugs, they really feel that. And there may be confusion and there may be temptation from Satan and there might be uh, demonic activity involved. All that might be real, but for some reason they're reaching out in this way and I believe that uh, to tell them those things aren't real is to hurt them more. I think to, to say, you know what? Let's talk about that. Where does that come from? Where are the roots of that? Get somebody professional involved. I, I'm not a big fan of these things where they take people and enslave them till they convert. I don't think anybody's ever converted under threat of a gun. Like, it just doesn't happen. But I'm all about talking to folks who have these, these feelings and then are convicted by the Holy Spirit. You will not convict somebody of their sin. The Holy Spirit will. And you've got to be ready. you got to be like the net. You know, Holy Spirit convicts them. Okay, let's talk about this. I read a wonderful blog about a woman who, you know, growing, growing up, she she developed same-sex attraction and, and and just fully went that full lifestyle, full bore, didn't look back. And then one day started to become a part of a Bible study at her local job. I, I think she worked at, a not here, it was at a Lowe's somewhere. And they were having a Bible study in the break room during their break and they, she was asked to join and, and they knew that she was homosexual and, and uh, you know whatever, but they invited her anyway. So she sat in a few times and she began to ask him questions and then eventually the Holy Spirit got a hold of her. And today her life has completely changed. Not because she was taken into a room somewhere and, and beaten into submission, not because she was given verse after verse and that used as a, as a club to beat her into submission, but because the Holy Spirit got a hold of her. Because there were loving people who were ready to teach and tell her the gospel of Jesus Christ. My assumption is that somebody at some point told her what she already knew. The world knows that homosexuality is a sin. That's why they're trying to change the word of God. You know, there are things like the Quran, which tell me I'm a sinner. Uh, I'm an infidel because I do not worship Allah or his prophet Muhammad. Do you know how much time I lose asleep at night over that? None. Do you know how much time I spend going after the Koran to correct it, to make it more inclusive, to change it? None. Why? Because I'm not threatened by that which is not the truth. When the Bible threatens me, it's because I'm in sin, not because it's wrong, not because God made a mistake, not because I have to correct it. When I feel threatened, when I feel as though I'm being convicted for something, oh, it's me that has to repent and change. And there are times where I have to go back and am I really sure that's what God's saying? Yeah, that's what he's saying. And so when I lose sleep at night, it's not over what some other thing says about me. It's what the word of God says about me. And this is why the word of God is under attack. How many rallies have you seen to change the Quran? You have seen none. And if they are, they're not sensationalized or publicized. But there's an entire gay and lesbian Bible written where words of the Bible are changed to make homosexuality not become a sin. The agenda is that we might assimilate, be a part of their group and say, yes, everything is okay. God is love, so you can do everything. This was an agnostic and still is an agnostic point of view that because all, sin is, uh, all flesh is sin, well, then you can do whatever you want with the flesh. It's like garbage anyways. You're not really making it worse. And John confronts that and we'll talk about that when we go through our study of the book of John. But we as the church, as much as we can in love, in kindness, in candor and in tact, intelligently, lovingly, every good word I can possibly think of, we must stand in the truth that the word of God is. It is not our job to change it. It is not our job to add footnotes to it, to, to go back and change what words really mean so that it, it makes some group or some people feel better about themselves. It's our job to go and just declare it. Just, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, he's always, he's always going to say this, but this, here's the good news. He's always going to love you. He will always be there waiting to welcome you in. His grace extends to you even when you are rebellious, even when you are caught, even when you don't know what to do, his grace is still there. His love for you does not change because you did something wrong. There may be consequences, there may be disciplining, but the love, it will come from that place of love. God indeed is love. God is also holy. The Bible speaks more of his holiness than his love. God is more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. And your true happiness will extend from your holiness in him. I was really having a hard time this morning before I got ready to preach. I was like pacing and Sophia kept saying, Hesh Brown! And it was amazing. I'd go, hash brown, and I'd start praying. i Lord, I just, I can't, I can't do this, man. This is too much. Not just, not because of the subject title, just preaching in general. Like, what am I gonna do? Like, ah, oh, man, I'm just sorry, Lord. You need a better vessel. <laughs> you need someone better than this. And I remember, I was reminded that it's not about what I can do. It's about what the Lord has already done. It's not about what you can do. It's about the righteousness that we stand in that is Jesus Christ. Our righteousness, our right standing before God has nothing to do with what we can do to earn it. It has everything to do with with what God has done to give it to us. And now we, we stand enveloped in Christ's righteousness, forgiven of our sins. We have been given this right to be called the children of God. And if you've had a loving father or a loving mother, that phrase kind of, misses the mark a little bit. But you, if you've been adopted or had an adoptive family or somebody who, who loved you like a child when you weren't biologically their child, you understand that when they recognize you as a member of your family or, or their family, when you have no biological ties, how important that is to you. And the Bible speaks of us being adopted and redeemed by this good, loving father. That we aren't just, we aren't just servants in his household, we're his children. We have the same last name now. We, we, our, our family ties are, are, are strengthened and bonded by Jesus Christ. Today, your position before Christ is not one of sinner, it's one of saint, changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you today put faith in Christ and what he has done for you. So we as a church, we believe that sex is a good thing, that it was intended and created for a husband and wife to enjoy as well as to procreate and to make children. Because children are great and raising them up is fun. And they say things and they do things that are amazing. And we want to help save babies and save parents who are going through hard times with their babies. And we want couples to enjoy an intimate relationship with one another. We want, I've heard it said time and time again, couples really only have two problems, sex and money. We talked about money, now we've talked about sex. All you couples better be fixed now. (laughs) <laughs> but my point is this: We want you to not be hindered by secrecy, and well, I don't know, and I don't know what to do, and you know, and have anger and bitterness form between a husband and a wife. We want you guys to be as Adam and Eve, to be before one another without shame, to have a, a, a great relationship, not just sexually, but in every aspect of your life. So we're going to pray. I'm gonna ask you to come to the Lord. If, if today, you've, if you have not given your life to Jesus or you've backslidden or you're just not right with the Lord, you know things are wrong and you should be doing stuff better and different, today's your opportunity to repent of that. Maybe you're one of the ones who when we were talking about sexual sin, you were really convicted. The point is not to make you feel guilty. If you feel guilty, great, let the Lord use it. But the point is not to condemn you to make you feel guilty. The point is that conviction would lead to repentance. That, that what you feel and strangled by, would be released by Jesus that you might know the freedom that only he can give. That you could be liberated from something that has put its shackles around your ankles and hands, that has enslaved you for too long. That you would know the love of God, that he might know you, and that you might walk in his righteousness. And then we're gonna pray also, man, maybe you're just, you're like, man, my spiritual life's great. Well, then you're gonna pray for other people then. Let's pray and then we'll take some questions and answers because I'm hoping you guys got some. Father, we praise you. And it's it's unfortunate that this subject is, is so taboo. And, and I know as, as humans, we've, we've done a good job of making it so. But it's not a subject that you shy away from. It's not one that you um, tell us not to speak of. It's one that we are not to be crass about or crude about. We're not to... Uh, use it to exploit others or to condemn others. It's something that has to be discussed, to be understood and celebrated uh, in you. I pray today, Lord, for those who maybe have never given their life to you. I pray today would be the day of their salvation. I pray today is the day that, that they hear your call clearer and louder than they ever have. That they hear that call of love, that call of welcoming as a child to repent of their sins and to accept the grace that you have for them. For those who have backslidden, Lord, and those who have just not in the place where they need to be, no matter what degree or extreme that might be, Father, I pray for them. We pray with them that that today would be a day of repentance as well, that they would repent of their former ways and begin to walk with you again, to take your hand, to walk with you, to see you take the bad things and use them for their good, even the foolish things, even the wrong choices, Lord, to use them for the better of their life and their family and their community. And Father, for the couples of our church, whether they are married or not, whether they are young couples or older couples, whether they've been around for a while or just getting together, Lord, may they find in you the truth that sets them free. May Satan have no dominion over them in their lives, May the traps and schemes of the enemy and even our modern day culture, Lord, be seen for what they are so that they may be avoided. And above all things, Lord, in all things, your word tells us, do things unto your glory. And that's what we seek, Lord, that you would be glorified. Draw us unto you again and again and again. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.